morning, church. <clears throat> Can you hear me? Good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me? Hey, good morning. Hey, good morning, church. I'm glad that you're here today. Haven't we had a, a wonderful feast of music? Just wonderful. Chitons, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for, your, uh, for leading us in worship. Powerful. You had me crying on the front row. And choir, you guys are always so fantastic. Uh, I was telling them this morning at first service, someone came up to me and said, as they were warming up, they said, this is why I come to this church. It's a powerful testimony of what God can do here in Vet Forest Lake. Hey, I'm glad that you're here this morning. I really am. Wherever you came from, whatever you're doing, I'm just glad that you're here today. Maybe you're traveling later on this week for spring break. Maybe you're not and staying here. Well, I'm glad that you're here. If you're joining us online, I'm, I'm very glad that you're worshiping with us. We aren't the same without you, so thank you for worshiping here. And if this is your very first time at Forest Lake, welcome. I'm glad you're here. I mean, I'm uh, extra pumped today because one of my favorite people in the world is here. Uh, you haven't seen him since November, but Pastor Tim Nichols is here this morning. <laughs> Love you, buddy. I'm going to cry a little bit. I don't want to do that. <laughs> hey, we're finishing up a sermon series on John the Baptist today. And uh, I've been praying that this is a powerful message to your heart. I think for some of you, it'll really push you beyond uh, what you've always known. So you may have to disrupt tradition and what you've always thought. Um, but I think that God will speak to you. So this morning, as we, as we launch into the word, I ask that you'll bow your heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, today we're rejoicing in who you are and what you've done for us. And as we open your word, may we understand the gospel in a more powerful way for each one of us. So just bless us now and speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. This last Tuesday, I went to check the mail to see if there was anything that possibly could be nice to have in the mail. I don't get very much mail, uh, but I opened the mailbox and there was a stack of things in there and pulled it out and went rifling through the bills, uh, the advertisements. Um, I get a lot of mail for Harry Brockman. He was the previous owner of my house. He died, so he's not going to the post office to get his mail forwarded. So it's, I'm just stuck with it for the rest of my life. I get Harry Brockman's mail. But underneath all the mail was a book, and I brought it for you. You might have one just like this. It's probably the newest copy. Have you seen one of these babies? I would suggest there's a large portion of people in this room that have never seen one of these. I mean, this is as ancient as uh, VHS tapes. It's as ancient as the... Uh, card catalog, Dewey Decimal System style at the library. This is as ancient, and some of you are going to feel really judged, and you're going to be angry, and you'll send me an email. It's fine. This is as ancient as a road atlas, one of those foldable maps. Very effective, just not very efficient. Am I right? So I got this thing, and I thought to myself, I bet there's people in our church that have never used one of these. So is there someone this morning between the age of 10 to 15, maybe 16, that has never laid hands on one of these right here. Raise your hand for me this morning. Okay, I'm seeing a few hands. This is good. This is good. Okay. Uh, Jacob, why don't you come on down for me this morning? I need you, I need you to volunteer. Um, I, also, I also need uh, another volunteer because um, I would like to have a battle of the generations this morning. Can we do that this morning? Um, and so what I really need is someone that is older, much older, that doesn't really use a smartphone, doesn't know how to use a smartphone. Are you here this morning? 
Stewart, is that you in the back? Come on, come on. Okay, battle of the generations happening this morning. Jacob welcomed Mr. Borland. Now, Jacob, are you in seventh grade or eighth grade? You're a seventh grader. Excellent. Here, come right over here. Yes. And Stuart, my man, he sits on the front row every week in the balcony. We have two front rows. Come on up here. He was a little nervous this morning. I talked to him about this. This is, this is staged. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you this. You can keep it afterwards because I won't be using it. What is this? Yeah. Do you know how to open this thing? This is legit his wife's phone. I just want you to know this. What's, what's the passcode? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay, he's in. Okay, so we're going to have a competition this morning. You on old school technology, you on new school technology to see which one of you can find, which one of you can find the fastest, the closest pizza hut to our church. Ready? Go. This is not looking good, folks. Okay, Jacob's, Jacob's working here. How we doing? You're trying to open Safari. No, not messages. You can't. He's <laughs> phoning a friend. P. P. <laughs> hey, let me help you. Let me help you. There you go. Google, that's a good start. Now what are you going to search for? Found it. You're getting close. See, he's using, this is smart. He's got audio. He's like, hey, Siri, find me Pizza Hut. He's got it. He's got it. Good job. Good job. Hey, you can have that as a, as a, as a, a, a prize. Congratulations. Give your wife's phone back to her when you get there. <laughs> so this is a, a silly illustration with one point. It's simply this. It doesn't matter who got there fastest. What matters is that you get the pizza, Right? It doesn't matter if it took you longer to get the pizza or shorter to get the pizza. The point is you get the pizza. And when you get there, you better believe you're ordering that stuffed crust large with the cheese. And then you get another one for some of you uh, other people that eat different things. Half pineapple, perhaps. And any pineapple lovers? I'm surprised there's no booze happening right now, too. Maybe some olives and mushrooms. It's about the pizza. It's not about uh, the fastest to get there. You following me? In John the Baptist's story, we see this exact same point, and I, and I want you to open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 7, where we get to read this point together. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, you can find the one that's in front of you, the blue book, and you can follow along on page 730. It's the same words that I'll be reading in my Bible, and I'll give you some context while you're turning to Luke chapter 7. Here's the context. We're at the end of John the Baptist's story. At this point in his story, he is not free in fact, he's in prison. He's been in there a while. He's not even sure if he'll ever get out. He's been in there and he's been thinking about things and he's been struggling. The reason he got in there is because of Herod. So as John has been preaching at the riverside, he's been preaching about repentance. Herod, the ruler of Galilee, he says, you know what? I want to hear all, what all the hubbub is about. And so he goes down to the river and he listens to John preach about repentance. And John calls Herod out because Herod and his wife Herodias, kind of funny that their names are so close together, they've been living in a marriage that doesn't match up to the Mosaic law. It's basically an affair that they're having, and John calls him out. Well, Herodias doesn't like this, and so she commits the rest of John's life to making sure that he doesn't live much longer. 
And so at this point in the story, John is in prison. Now he's got visitation rights, and so his disciples have been going to the jail to visit John, and when they talk to him, they have lots of questions. They spend time interacting because they, they seize that opportunity, those moments, those precious moments together. I've been to prisons before. I've been to jails before. They're all the same. Uh, sometimes I've gone in uh, deep into the, the, the inner parts of the prison to preach to inmates and, and speak life into their, their lives as they wonder if they will ever get out. I've gone and visited people, church members or, or family of church members, and they, they all are the same. You go in, you go to the, uh, the little visitation area, the people you're hanging out with, you wouldn't normally hang out with ever. They, they usher you into this little room with these little cubicles and it's glass in front. Each little box has a glass window and a, and a telephone and you sit down and the chair you sit on is all worn out from people that have been sitting there. You, you take the telephone and it's greasy from the last guy that had it and you don't want to put it to your face because you know you'll break out the next week if it touches your skin. It's gross. If you're lucky, the guard will bring the person that you're there to visit and they sit on the other side and you just have a few short minutes of conversation via the telephones through the window and so you seize every moment to share the important stuff, to ask the real questions, to make real conversation happen. And as John's disciples are there in the prison with John, they have rich conversation. The disciples say, John, you don't know what's happening on the outside, but, but Jesus, he's got this this overwhelming group of people that are following him. It's just growing and growing and he's, he's doing crazy things. And, and, and John, do you really think that he's the Messiah? And if he really is the Messiah, how come he's not here getting you out of jail? And we pick up our story as these disciples are asking questions. And as they ask questions, it reminds me of some of the questions that we ask. We ask a lot of different questions, especially when it comes to spirituality and, and God. We ask questions like, well, God, why did that happen to me? Or why didn't that happen to me? Or we ask questions about whether or not God really is there for you or not. We ask questions about God, if he really does love you or if he'll always be with you. Or some of you even ask the question if God is actually very real. And there's really only one way to answer those questions. And it's by going straight to the source to talk to Jesus himself. And John does the same thing as what we have to do when we have questions because John sends his disciples straight to Jesus. Here's what it says, John chapter 7, starting in verse 18. John's disciples told John about all these things that Jesus was doing. Calling two of them, John sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, Hey, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? They've got real questions. And as so often happens, when you ask Jesus a question, he doesn't answer the way you'd expect. Am I right? Does that happen to you too? So these disciples go to Jesus and they ask him, Hey, are you the Messiah? And Jesus could have said, just like at the last few hours of his life, I am he, I am the Messiah, but he doesn't. When they ask him questions, he could have answered in another question, as he so often did, to let them process and, and kind of understand for themselves, but he didn't. Instead, Jesus doesn't answer with words. He answers with actions. The very next verse, verse 21, here's what it says. At the very time Jesus 
cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits. He gave sight to many who were blind, verse 22. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. It's almost like Jesus says, don't take my word for who I am, that I'm the Messiah. Instead, watch this and believe. Watch this and believe. Isn't it so funny how our faith is so dependent on our sight? It's almost like if we can't see it with our own eyes, we're not going to believe it. If we can't view it with our very own eyes, we don't believe. Somebody can tell you all about it. They can tell you the good stuff, but you, you and I both do the same thing. And we say, oh, well, that's good, but I'm not buying it until I can see it with my own eyes. So often we're asked to believe something, but we don't unless we've seen it with our own eyes. But once we've seen it with our eyes, we begin to know and believe. And as the disciples of John have seen it with their eyes, they scurry back to John the Baptist to tell him all the wonderful things that Jesus has done. And Jesus, who's still with those people, he begins to talk to the people about who John is. Here's what it says, verse 24. And, and a side note here, I think it's funny that Jesus, the creator of all things, in human form, is name-dropping John the Baptist. If you don't know what name dropping is, it's, it's using someone else's name and their credibility to build your own credibility. Jesus does it here. Verse 24, after John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. He says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than just a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Jesus starts talking about John. He says, what did you expect to see, guys? You came out to look at John. Did you think he'd be someone that would be swayed like a, a, a reed in the breeze from politics or people's opinions? He says, did you expect somebody to be dressed in fine clothes? Not this guy. He says, did you expect a prophet? He said, he's more than a prophet. He's the greatest prophet ever because he ushered in the Messiah. But then Jesus gets to this part that I've been working our way through this passage to get this one verse. All of that's preamble. Here's the real sermon. Verse 28. This is what Jesus says about John. He says this. Jesus says, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Can you imagine if Jesus said that about you? Were you born from a woman? Mm-hmm. Every one of us has been. Among all those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Those are fighting words. Those are wrestling words for those that want to be first, that want to be the greatest, that want to be the best. When I was a senior in high school, graduated in 2002, some of you that makes you feel old, some of you that makes me feel old. We got the yearbook, and in the yearbook every year, those seniors, they always get something called superlatives. Hopefully you know what a superlative is. 
Um, you learn about this in fourth or fifth grade. It's good, better, and... Oh, you, you don't remember this. It's good, better, and best. It's the superlative. It's the best one. It's the highest rank. It's the number one. And in superlatives in personalities and people in yearbooks, they have lots of them. And in the yearbook this year, the one that I graduated with, uh, I quickly got my yearbook and opened it and flipped to the seniors page because there's always superlatives like the most athletic or the most studious or this one you can't really quantify, most likely to succeed. What does that even mean? But they're in there and everybody wanted to be a superlative. Everybody wanted to be the best, the greatest. Yet Jesus, as he talks about John, he gives the superlative of all superlatives. He says that of any human being ever to be born and ever will be born, John is the greatest. That's ridiculous. That's more than just winning a blue ribbon. That's like winning a blue ribbon and everybody else gets the purple participant ribbon. That's, if this is greater than winning a gold medal, Jesus says of any human being ever, John is the greatest. That's better than Mother Teresa. That's better than Gandhi. That's better than Billy Graham. He's better than Mark Finley. He's the best. And Jesus continues. He doesn't stop there. He continues with the next phrase that I believe is something that has been missing in Christianity forever and specifically Adventist Christianity. Here's how Jesus continues. Verse 28, let's read the whole thing. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Jesus launches into this comparison between an earthly kingdom and a heavenly kingdom. Jesus basically says that John is the, the greatest human ever to walk the face of the earth, yet he's yet the least person, the last person, the most unworthy person that gets into the kingdom of God is greater than he. It's this comparison. He says, John's the greatest human ever, but the last person, the least person, the worst person, the most unworthy person that's in the kingdom is greater than the best person outside the kingdom. Are you with me so far? Are you with me so far? Okay. See, for decades, for generations, for a really, really, really long time, Christians, and definitely Seventh-day Adventist Christians, have struggled with this concept. Forever in Sabbath schools, and small groups, and from the pulpit in churches, and from church school Bible classes, and from grandparents to parents to their kids to their kids to their kids, it's been taught that only the greatest, only the best, only the worthy, only the righteous, and only the perfect get into the kingdom. Have you heard that before? Have you sensed that before? And this idea has been drilled into generations, and it's become a terrifying burden on the backs of everyone who wants to be saved into the kingdom. And it manifests itself in this idea of striving so hard to be perfect that maybe, just maybe, just maybe, when Jesus comes back, if I'm good enough, if I'm righteous enough, if I'm worthy enough that maybe and hopefully he'll take me into the kingdom. Just this last Wednesday night at 6 p.m., I had my weekly Bible study with one of the coolest couples in our church. They're awesome. They came to me several weeks ago and they said, Pastor Matt, we want to get baptized. And I said, great, let's spend time getting to know God more. And so we sat down together and, and we, we meet over Zoom. And this last Wednesday night, we were, we're on about the fourth lesson. And it talks about the second coming. And it talks about heaven and what it's like. And, and at the end of the lesson, I, I asked them this question. If Jesus came right now, 
would you be ready? And I let them have a few minutes to think about um, their own answers. And then I, I let the man go. I said, all right, you tell me, what do you think? And he said, well, yeah, I, I, I think I would. I, I think. I, I know Jesus and I love him. And I, so I let the girl go and I said, well, you tell me what you think. And she said, well, I don't think so. And I said, well, tell me more of why you don't think that way. And she said, well, I have a relationship with God, but I don't know if it's good enough. I don't know if it's strong enough. I think I might have sin in my life. And as she answered, it gave me the opportunity to share the power of the gospel. It gave me a chance to share that life as a Christian is not about not sinning. It's all about knowing God. That's the gospel. The goal should not be just to not sin. The goal should be always to know God better. And as we know him better, he does the hard work, the heart work that makes you look more like him. And as I shared those super simple gospel focused thoughts, tears welled up in her eyes and they came down her cheeks as she said, this feels so free. And while Jesus gives John some accolades, as the greatest human ever, I believe what he's really doing is giving us assurance of salvation. There's another book in the Bible written by another John. It's at the end of the Bible. It's in 1 John. I won't have you look it up there. I'll put it up on the screen here in a few minutes. Uh, but J John, the beloved, writes this book, and he writes beautiful words that describe who God is and our relationship with him together. And right after he describes how God is love, he writes powerful words that echo Jesus' words and gives us assurance of salvation. Now, I'll tell you how I found this passage. Um, about the first month that I came here to Forest Lake, I went visiting with Pastor Steve Sherman. He's our pastor for seniors and visitation. He said, he said hey, Matt, let's go visit. And I said, okay, let's go. And so we went to a man named Larry Stevens. Some of you may know him well. Uh, he's one of our church members. He's um, a retired pastor, his former Bible teacher at over, over at FLA, and his house is not too far from here. And we, we went to his house and went inside and found ourselves back on the couch, and, and he was on, over there, and we began to talk more and more. And, and he said, well, hey, I want to read something to you from the Bible. And I said, great, let's hear it. And so he pulls out this old, tattered leather Bible that is well-used, all the pages you can see, they've been turned hundreds of, hundreds of times. The leather's cracked, it's faded. And he opens the Bible to 1 John chapter 5, and he reads these words. We'll put them on the screen for you. Here's what it says. John writes, Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made God out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. Here's the next verse. He says, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. Somebody say amen. amen. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. And then he says this next verse. He gives us the why. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Are you with me? This is the best news ever, that you may know, not guess, not hope, but that you may know. It's beautiful in English, but it's even more beautiful in Greek. As John writes these words, you may know, he uses this word, edo. 
It comes from the root word orao, which means to see. And you could put it in there. He says, I write these words so that you may see that you have eternal life. That makes sense. But he uses the word edo, and it's such a powerful word because it means seeing until you know. Not seeing until you hope, but seeing it until you know. Staring at it, viewing it, watching it, looking at it, staring at it some more, over and over again until you know that you have eternal life. Are you with me so far? It reminds me of those pictures. They're called autostereograms. I didn't know that word until just recently. You've seen them before though. I remember seeing them when I was in fourth and fifth, sixth grade. Sometimes they'll be in, on the wall in, t- in uh, classrooms. Students look at them. Sometimes they're in doctor's offices. They're, they're just ridiculous. I, I dislike them very greatly. It's jumbled up uh, colors and shapes. I have one for you. Here it is. Here, here they are. Look at this picture. Now, uh, you've seen stuff like this before, and uh, apparently, apparently, there's another picture in there that if you look at it hard enough or long enough, that you'll see it. I have never seen one of these. Tim, are you the same way? Ridiculous. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Some of you, and I don't know if you can see it on a screen or if you have to be closer to this, but some of you can see it instantly. Uh, people have always told me, oh, Matt, it's so easy. Just cross your eyes and then you'll see it. You've done that, right? Or get closer or further away. Or, or they'll say, just look through the picture, Matt. You'll see it. I've never once seen it. Some of you, you look at it and you see it instantly. Others of you are like me and you have to stare at it and stare at it and stare at it and stare at it until you see it. And I think that Paul or John, as he writes about seeing until you believe it or seeing until you know it is kind of like this. You've accepted Jesus as your savior, but you've never experienced the freedom of the gospel. For so many of you, your whole life has been spent worrying about the second coming, or you spend most of your time in prayer racking your brain for every slip of the tongue or any impure thought you may have ever had, or, or you worry that you might have gotten angry at some point in your life and you're worried that that sin is not forgiven, and you constantly worry and live in fear that you're not good enough for Jesus. I hate to break it to you, you're not good enough, and neither am I, not worthy enough to be in the kingdom. If you could be worthy enough, you wouldn't need Jesus. But thank God that he gave us Jesus, who makes every one of us worthy as long as we're holding on to him. And no matter if you're the greatest or the worst, if you're the best or the worst, if you're the last or the first, as long as you hold on to Jesus, you're in the kingdom. Are you with me? In fact, I think Paul puts it best in Romans chapter 5. Here's what it says on the screen. That God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to be perfect. While we were still sinners, he died for us. On one hot Sunday afternoon, back in Georgia, just months before we moved down here to Florida, I got a phone call from Bob Jimenez. You may know Bob. Somebody in first service knew him. He's got connections down here. And uh, he's one of the, the top guys at Cox Communications there in Atlanta. And he called me and said, hey, Pastor Matt. And I said, what's up, Bob? And he said, I know this is really late notice, but uh, I've got a handful of tickets for the box suite, the Cox box suite at Truist 
park for where the Braves play. The game's going to happen in a couple hours. Would you and your family like to go? I looked at, at Jen, and I said, hey, I think we're going to go to a baseball game. You good with that? She said, yes. So we loaded up the van, got the kids ready to go. I called Pastor Alex Candelaria and his wife, Melanie. They were the associate pastors. I called up Michael Garcia. He was the summer intern. We all met down there. We get out of the van. We walk over to, to Truist Park, the big gates where everybody is, they're going through the gates, and Bob is on the side. And he waves us over. He says, hey, over here. And there's this private door, this little entrance. Only the people that go to the box suites get to go into this thing. And, and we follow him over and there's an usher there. And he just smiles and nods at her. And she opens the door. We all go inside, we walk up the stairs. We get to a security guard. There he is. And Bob just says, they're with me. We move on in. We get to the door of the suite. The door of the suite is open for us. And we walk inside. Here's a picture of the crew. Here we are just a few years ago. There we are. This, you may have never seen this. This is, this is up in the suites, the box suites, you know. We get in there, the door opens, and this is the view of the field. Go to the next slide. Look at this. I mean, you could reach out and touch those players. And in my smugness, as I was there in the, the open air, but air-conditioned box, I laughed at all the, the, the peons out there sweating under the hot Georgia sun. Oh, it was great sat there, enjoy it all. You could eat anything you wanted. Salad, not my choice. Popcorn, yes. Cracker Jacks, absolutely. There was a guy that worked for the Braves and he's walking down there next to that guy with the red shirt. He's walking down there. He's, he's passing out hot dogs, hamburgers, nachos. At one point he had hot pretzels wrapped in tin foil. All I had to do was raise my hand and he, he threw me the hot pretzel to eat. This is wonderful. I've never experienced it before in my life. At one point, we're enjoying, I don't even remember who won the game, by the way. Didn't matter. <laughs> At one point, we're sitting there. We hear the door open behind us, and we turn around, and there are two people wheeling a freezer into the suite. My boy's eyes got real big. We go over to the freezer and slide the top open, filled with all sorts of ice cream. My boys look up at me, and they didn't even have to ask for me to say, yes, you can have two. We, here's the next picture. Here we are sitting, eating our ice cream. I think there's an ice cream sandwich and some of those, oh, just so good. Definitely some Sprites. What a wonderful time. But here's what's crazy about this story. There's no way I could have gotten into that box suite by myself. I could have come up to that usher at the beginning and I could have winked at her and gave her the old Matt Smith smile. Not getting me in today. I could have gone up the stairs and found the security guard and tried to slip him some money. Not going to get in. The only way I could get in is because I knew Bob. And as I think about the kingdom of God, there's only one way in, and it's because you know Jesus. That's it. In fact, I think the words of John in his third chapter and the 16th verse, ring true and speak this message better than anyone. As he says, and you know this well, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's not about not sinning. It's about knowing Jesus. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, 
What a privilege it is to be called one of yours. Thank you for your love for us, shown to us through Jesus. May we understand in our hearts that our job is only to accept and know you. May we understand the gospel and the power of the gospel. May we look until we know what it really is like. God, we love you, and we can't wait to see you. In Jesus' name, amen.